and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Are you overworked, overstressed, and overwhelmed? You want life to be different, but you don't even know how to get there. Man, oh man, I lived there myself. And in my experience with working with thousands of people from all walks of life, there is one simple thing that holds so many of us back, a lack of time management. We may know what we want, but we often don't know how to get there and don't feel like we can add one more thing into our already busy day. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Action Planner. It's a 90-day inspired game plan that will give you total clarity on your greatest priorities and skyrocket your productivity on the tasks that matter most. And now, for a limited time, you can get your own copy for free. And when you go to denisewalsh.com slash action. Denise Walsh, D-E-N-I-S-E-W-A-L-S-H dot com slash action. A-C-T-I-O-N. Put your information in and we will send this action planner directly to your inbox so you can set your goals, reprioritize your calendar, and design your dream life today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am so excited to talk to our next guest because he is going to help us truly take back a part of our lives that some of us feel like is out of control. He takes an iron fist and a velvet glove approach to combat the conventional constructs of a failed healthcare system. And you guys know that what's happening in the field of healthcare isn't working and we want to change it. And and so does our next guest. During his 20 years in clinical practice, he brought an entrepreneurial approach to the practice of medicine. And he addresses each of his patients' problems and each obstacle in front of him with the mindset of, what are the best tools or techniques to address this issue today? Not yesterday and not tomorrow. Ooh, so good. So whether he is innovating new treatments or redefining the independent medical practice for the 21st century, our next guest follows a philosophy of doing better today than what was done yesterday. So big Dreamcast welcome to Dr. Mathan Kandula. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because not only are you going to talk to us about health care, but a specific piece of our health that we sometimes take for granted and sometimes we don't even really know how to fix or treat. So I'm really interested in hearing how you got so into this. How did you, number one, get into healthcare, and then number two, decide it wasn't working? The answer to the first question is fairly straightforward. I kind of come from a family of, well, I do come from a family of docs. So both my parents are physicians. I've got two older sisters. They're both physicians. Their husbands are both physicians. And so I was the youngest in my family and I uh, went into the family business, which has worked out okay. But I went into it, you know, not sort of the last duck in the row, but I truly felt like where I could sort of serve the world the best and the most was was within healthcare. But again, not following sort of the path that everybody's going, but trying to figure out what can I do? What can I give? How can we make things better? And that's sort of the long and the short of kind of leading us somewhat to today. And then really, as far as the, our particular focus here at, at Advent and with my practice, it's really, that's been guided by our patients and with the, the patients that we see 
seeing the problems they deal with and the frustrations in dealing with those problems and knowing that there's a better way. And there is a better way. And, you know, meaning that it's one thing if there really aren't any good answers or good solutions to not be, you know, given those things. And it's another thing if there really are, you know, either you don't know how to deliver them or you uh, maybe are too busy to uh, offer them as, as a clinician. That's not at all, you know, I think appropriate. And unfortunately, it happens too often. Well, I was a clinical psychologist before my entrepreneur days, and I know that in my world, it could seemingly feel like a machine. Someone comes in, someone comes out, someone comes in, someone comes out. And there wasn't enough time to really dive into the whole person approach. But you've been a pioneer in developing new techniques, especially around nose, sinus, snoring, sleep apnea, which I know sleep is something we all need. And often we have a problem with it. It impacts everything and we don't know what to do. But Mm -hmm. then you also evaluated and and coined the breathing triangle. So tell us a little bit how you got into this world. So I'm an ear, nose and throat physician or the fancy term for that is an otolaryngologist. And so, yeah, I didn't say that word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not not for the amateurs to try. But but basically, so obviously the name of that ear, nose and throat. So we deal with the, you know, really the head and neck area. But, you know, really what I learned over the years and it is really that, that nose and throat area. So the nose and the throat, that's the breathing triangle. So meaning you've got three holes in your head to, that you can move air into your body with. And those are the nose, the two nostrils and, and your mouth. And when those areas are working properly, life is good basically. And when those are areas are not working properly, life is bad. And in fact, if those areas are not working at all, then life is not possible. So you can't, you know, it, it, it sounds very simplistic, but it's true is that, you know, it's literally incompatible with life to, to not have a functioning breathing triangle. And what became obvious to me, I mean, I've been treating, you know, I guess at this point, thousands of patients over many years. And I think the thing that strikes me often and to this day is how many people don't know how bad their situations are until we take a look, take a listen and, you know, understand the impact of some of these issues. So simple things like, you know, blocked up noses and, and, and snoring and, and those sorts of things can often be dismissed by the typical healthcare system. But when those things are happening to you, it's real. And I, I, the, the other reality is a lot of folks don't necessarily, if, if you've never had, you know, proper breathing, if you've always had kind of a plugged up nose or a plugged up throat, then you're the last person to know what things should feel like. And so a lot of times with our patients is, you know, they come in maybe with a, a specific issue or, or, or wonder or question. And once we kind of peel the layers of the onion back and figure out exactly what's going on and, and we're able to get to the root of that problem on the back end is, is we're well here time and time again about, boy, I, I've never breathed like this. It's, I've never slept like this. You know, all these things that I think many people take for granted when they have never been there and all of a sudden they are there, it's an epiphany. And, you know, and then that, seeing that time and time again for us, it's, it's just a matter of trying to get the word out on the fact that, that, that you don't have to live like that. And, and that's what we're trying to do. My dad has a plugged up sinus nose mm-hmm. infection all the time. And it's come to a point where that's just his normal life. He can't hear out of one ear. And it's just kind of the way it is because he's given up on knowing what to do about it. And it seems like now that has led him to having sleep mapping and have wearing the machines. And my mom also has a machine. And then my aunts and uncles have machines. Whenever we go traveling, everyone's got their noisemakers. So why does it seem like everybody has sleep apnea these days? Yeah, well, the reality is many, 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 many people have issues in the nose and throat area. And so I guess a common truth that people don't know is that anybody who has sleep apnea, that issue is coming from their throat. And um, most people, I don't think, know that. And, and the reality is 
well, why is it happening in the throat? Part of it is, I mean, uh, it, it sometimes it's the chicken and the egg where some folks will attribute sleep apnea to people who are too heavy. And that certainly can happen. But on the flip side, I'd say there are people who are made too heavy because they're not breathing properly. And when you're not breathing properly, it's easy to put on extra weight. But at the end of the day, if somebody has a sleep apnea issue, it's really just tightness in the back of the throat. A lot of that's genetics. So just like you described, you know, it's sort of if you are in a family, in families, just like you tend to look somewhat similarly on the outside, the inside of your bodies tend to look somewhat similar. And so if you're in a family where other folks snore or other folks have sleep apnea, you're much more likely to have sleep apnea, you know, on your own. And so the other sort of reality with sleep apnea is that diagnosis wasn't there. It didn't exist as a diagnosis back in the 70s. So if, if people dial the clock back to the not so distant future, well, a lot of people did have sleep apnea, but we didn't know about it. And so once medicine got smart enough to figure out that there's something going on is, is once it started to be recognized and be treated. And so that, that's why I think I do think a lot of people are surprised with how many people are on the CPAP machine. And, and, and that's one treatment option. It's not the only treatment option. And it can work very nicely if it's if it's the right fit for somebody. But it's certainly something that's that's sort of newish. You know, as time goes on, it's something that's shown up on the scene. And, and now all of a sudden, it's, it's sort of, uh, I think most people have heard of a CPAP machine versus 20 years ago. I'd say most people probably hadn't. And I think, again, for the good that those things do, that's a great thing. But part of it's awareness, part of it's the fact that it's really an epidemic and in, in really throughout the world, but especially in this country of folks who just can't breathe properly. Yeah. So tightening in the back of the throat, how would you relieve the symptom without a CPAP machine? I guess the first angle there is recognizing and, and part of our approach is, you know, yes, there's tightness in the back of the throat. So if you have obstructive sleep apnea, which is when you stop breathing when you're sleeping at night because your your throat is too tight, 100% of the time, that's a throat issue. About 80 to 90% of the time, the other issue that's going to be there is that your nose isn't working properly. And so you have somebody who's got a throat issue and, and that throat issue is evident by their snoring and the struggling to breathe at night, but they also have a nose issue. And so CPAP machines get a bad rap. I, I think a lot of times it's because they're, they're used inappropriately. So if your nose is blocked up and your throat is blocked up, uh, what a CPAP machine does is it's basically a mask that sits on either your nose or your nose and your mouth that's hooked up to a machine. The machine is just pushing air into the back of your throat. It's trying to use that air to hold the back of your throat open. And so again, if you've got the breathing triangle as your only ability to breathe, the, the two nostrils and then your mouth, always an open nose is better than an open mouth as far as breathing goes. Your mouth was not meant to be breathing. Your nose is what, what, what's what been designed to breathe. But the most typical setup for folks who have sleep apnea is, is, is the CPAP machine with a full face mask, so covering over somebody's nose and mouth. And again, back to that following the ball along, if your throat is tight and your nose is tight, the last thing your body tends to want is something that covers up both of those areas, uh, especially when you're trying to sleep with them. And so CPAP is an option that can work. It works best when somebody's nose is working. Most folks who are set up with CPAP machines have, have never had their airways evaluated, which is a shame, in, in my opinion. And so again, CPAP's one option and, and that works well. Other options. So there's really, if somebody has sleep apnea, there's three options beyond getting their nose working. And, and so one is the CPAP machine. Another option is an oral appliance, which is like a retainer that you can wear when you're sleeping at night. What that's doing is it's, it's basically using your teeth to kind of pull your lower jaw forward, to open up the back of the throat. 
many, many, many people who have sleep apnea and have only been given the option of a CPAP machine are absolutely appropriate candidates for an oral appliance. Most of those people never hear about that as an option. And then the final option for somebody who's got sleep apnea are surgeries or procedures in the back of the throat to open things up. And so those can be successful for the right candidates. You know, they're, they're not successful for the wrong candidates. And so part of our job is, is really uh, evaluating each individual, evaluating their airway, evaluating what's going on here, what's causing the problem. And then based on the possible solutions, figuring out, well, what's the right fit for you? So what, what the, what's you know, the right fit for you know, Jane Smith down the road is is not necessarily the right fit for you. And so it, it cannot be a one-size-fits-all approach. It has to be a customized, really targeted approach for both what you've got and how you want to deal with it. One thing you mentioned is that there is the element of being overweight, and that can impact the way you breathe at night. Why is that? Really, what that does, if you have extra weight on your body, one of the first places it's going to show up and you don't necessarily see it, it's not your hips, it's actually the back of your throat. So uh, around the airway in your back, of you, in, in the back of your throat, there are fat deposits there. Even in the tongue, there are fat deposits. And so it's a pretty early, and I didn't design the system, so I can't tell you exactly why that is. But when you put a, even a little bit of extra weight on, uh, it narrows the airway. And so for folks who might have been snoring a little bit back in the day, and as weight comes on the body, which unfortunately happens too, too commonly, that can take an airway that was airways that was tight and over time gradually cinch it down. And sometimes it's so gradual you don't really remember what things were like before that happened, but it happens. And then it's it's a really vicious cycle, meaning that if you aren't breathing properly during the day and then especially at night because your your airway's not open and that gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse, you know, the, the worse that that gets, the worse your sleep is, the worse, worse your breathing is. And anybody who's ever had a bad night's sleep knows the next day you're not your best. You're not making the best choices as far as food goes. You're making the worst choices. You're not making the right choices as far as activity and exercise goes. You're not doing those things. And so it's a slippery slope where, you, you know, what, and this is where it gets tricky because I, I do believe, and I've, I believe it because I see it with my own eyes all the time, is you, you see patients who were sort of shortchanged in life with a small airway, with a poor breathing triangle. So they weren't breathing properly, sets them off for all that chain of event I just described, where they're just not sleeping right. They don't know it during the day. They don't feel like doing stuff everybody else does because they're tired. And, you know, during the day, they feel like, geez, boy, that you know, bag of chips is looking pretty good right now, you know, or that whatever you shouldn't be eating sounds pretty appealing. Just again, if you, anybody who's ever not had a proper night of sleep knows that reality. And, and so that not doing what you could do because you're not breathing properly, you know, eating what you shouldn't because you're not sleeping properly, that, you know, is it, it will, it's a guarantee. If, if you wanted a recipe for how to put weight on, it's sleeping poorly, eating poorly, and not moving around. And what's going to happen if you're not sleeping? You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a built-in cycle there. And so, you know, I, I guess it, it, in my, you know, sorry, as time goes on, I recognize more and more the reality that the airway issue is contributing and I think causing to some of the obesity epidemic that we have in this country. And on the flip side, the obesity epidemic that we have in this country is further contributing to the airway issue. And so, well, you could have one without the other, but I think they often coexist and they often cause each other. Yeah, it is really interesting because uh, when you don't have a good night, I mean, I know, right? I've had two babies, but yeah. when you yeah. don't sleep, it really does impact all areas of life. And yet, so many of us are having these issues. We're not sleeping at night. We're not getting a good night's sleep. 
and it's domino affecting into other areas. Right. One thing you mentioned too is that mouth breathing is pretty unhealthy. Tell us a bit about why specifically mouth breathing is not good for us. Yeah, I mean, mouth breathing is rampant and it is not a good thing. It's not a good thing for anybody. And it's especially really, really bad for kiddos. So if you see a kiddo who's, who's got their mouth hanging open because they, they need to breathe, use their mouth to breathe, that's a kiddo who's screaming at you that, that they're, they're, they're looking for help. So any human being who has a nose that's working properly will choose to breathe through that open nose versus an open mouth. So the reason we all have noses is that the noses are our bodies basic air conditioning uh, equipment. So when you breathe through your nose, it adds moisture to the air, it filters the air, it actually warms the air. So it's conditioning that air so that by the time it gets to the back of your throat and gets to, to, to your lungs, that it's already been conditioned. If you use your nose and breathe like that, then again, it's, it's helpful for your body. If you don't use your nose and you've got your mouth hanging open, then you get that whatever's in that air is coming into your lungs, you know, both from a, it's not moisturized, it's not humidified or it's not uh, warmed and it's not filtered. And, and so it's, it's harsh that way. If you have a chronic habit of opening your mouth up to breathe when you're a child. So if a child is breathing through their mouth, it actually creates a domino effect. If your mouth is open, it's kind of hard to describe. You almost need a visual with this. But if your mouth is open, your tongue isn't sitting in the proper position. So I, this is one of those things. Most people never think about, well, well how should I be sitting? And uh, you know, what, what, where should my mouth and my teeth and my tongue be, you know, be when I'm just sitting around? Your mouth shouldn't be open. What should be happening is your, your mouth should be shut. Your teeth should be gently touching. The tongue should be sitting at the roof of your mouth and you should be breathing through your nose. So what ends up happening is if you can't breathe through your nose properly, your mouth hangs open, your teeth aren't touching, your tongue is not sitting in the roof of your mouth. And what ends up uh, with the result of that is that somebody who was sort of meant to have uh, a, a more open airway, a more sort of aesthetically pleasing face ends up with a long, narrow face. So if you think about if anybody's seen Napoleon Dynamite, the movie, that main lead character, he has made it. it, it may, I, I didn't I don't you know, I don't know the specifics, but if you look at any picture with him, he's got his mouth hanging open and he's got we call it in, in the, the lingo that we use in medicine. It's, it's called adenoid facies. Uh, all that that means is adenoids are tissue in the back of the nose when the adenoid tissue is enlarged tends to happen in a kid and a kid where that's happening if somebody grows up where their nose isn't working then your face is long and drawn out and it's it's both aesthetically unappealing meaning that if you want to take somebody and make them look uh not pretty or not the way or handsome is you force them to breathe through their mouth when they're growing up and they'll end up looking like somebody that they shouldn't and if you want to have somebody you know looking like they're you know looking like the genetics were supposed to be you have them you know breathe with their mouth shut and so most people never think about that that's one of those things is that as a nose and throat doctor that, that i can't not see it once you start looking around and I, i'd recommend your your audience start doing this just look around and see how many people have their mouth hanging open when they shouldn't and you'll see people who are crying out for uh for for airways that, that are would, would you know would ideally be more open yeah it is interesting how you can start seeing that and and you know typically i'm i'm guessing just from hearing you talk when you see that you kind of also know that x y and z is probably also happening yeah absolutely so how do people get the best night's sleep let me kind of give you the opposite answer. The, the worst night's sleep starts with a bad airway now. And so this is where it gets tricky because I think it's hard enough for a lot of folks to get a good night's sleep, even if they've got good airways. And it's impossible for somebody to get a, get a good night's sleep if they don't have a good airway. And so making sure that, you know, I guess back to kind of what we we're just talking about in order to sleep 
ideally and properly, you've got to be able to breathe uh, with your mouth shut. You got to be able to breathe, you know, obviously, therefore, with your nose open. And so if you can't do that, if you can't breathe with your mouth shut, you're not going to have a good night's sleep. And it actually gets worse when you lay down. When anybody lays down, what ends up happening is there's tissue, there's tissue in the nose called turbinates, which are little humidifiers in the nose. When anybody lays down, the turbinates enlarge themselves a little bit. They kind of engorge themselves with blood. And so if you have sort of a, a tight nose to begin with, when you lay down, you're going to have a stuffed up nose. And so if any of your, you know, if you or any of your listeners knows the feeling of you lay on one side and, and with the, the downside of your nose stuffs up and you got to switch over to the other side, those are the turbinates that are causing that. So I'd say, you know, I'll answer the, the real question, but I'd say that's a miserable existence is to fight to be breathing when you're sleeping at night. But let's say that you can breathe, say you can breathe with your, say your nose is working say you can sleep with your mouth shut, then it's the simple things, which is sometimes hard to do for a lot of folks, which is the things we're focusing on are really the breathing issues that cause problems with sleep. But many folks have more brain issues, meaning insomnia issues, having a hard time, you know, sort of getting in the right mindset to fall asleep and having a, a hard time getting in, you know, sort of being able to sort of let it go to, to get that restful sleep. But again, it starts with that airway. But and on that, it's kind of a whole other, you know, can of worms as far as some of the tips and techniques with with that part. And then, you know, but but study after study has been shown that the importance of sleep, it's not just important from a fatigue standpoint or lack of fatigue. It's it's something that ripples through your overall physical health and your overall mental health, meaning that there are physical ramifications for not getting proper sleep, uh, meaning, you know, increased risk of heart attacks and strokes and dementia and all, everything toward the negative. And it's not all to blame about sleep, but it does go hand in hand. It's really important. I think one of the good things I'm seeing these days is you're seeing more and more awareness on the importance of sleep. Back when I was a kid and when I was growing up, I don't think anybody ever talked about it. I don't think anybody ever th thought about it much. And yet a lot of people were suffering, obviously, back then. And, and, and now that there's awareness, I think the good news with awareness is that you can take action once, once you know that there's not, when, when something's not right. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned earlier, the decrease of willpower when you're tired, you're just like, I don't even care. I'm right. going to do whatever's absolutely. easy. I'm going to do whatever's quick. And you don't have as much stamina in your mental space to do the hard things throughout the day, eating a little bit healthier, going for your exercise because you're just fatigued and, and mentally drained too. But I also, you mentioned the anxiety that people have that they can't slow themselves down enough to actually get a good night's sleep. And my mother-in-law has this, it seems like, just have a hard time sleeping. And then she's anxious about going to sleep because she knows she's not going to be able to sleep. So then yeah, there's all this worriness about sleeping. And I can imagine somebody who has an ear and nose and throat issue and can't breathe, there could even be some anxiety about that, knowing you're not going to get a good night's sleep. And so it does kind of all go hand in hand. Yeah. So one question I have, if somebody has their, this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, okay, that's me. I mean, I can picture my dad going, I have had sinus issues my whole life. And every time I lay down this side, yeah, you know, it feels, what, sure. yeah, I can, I can picture him being like, that's me right now. What can they do? I think, um, the, the, the reason I'm pausing here, because this is a challenging question, because, you know, as I'm an, an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat physicist, like I was talking about before, and I'd say not all ENTs, even though this is our field of specialty, recognize the importance of these issues. So I guess the simplest thing would be finding an ear, nose, and throat specialist that seems to get it. And I think that then the challenge is it, it really does depend on where, where somebody lives as far as 
the attitude that you're going to get in your care. And so what I can contribute to that is all that I can control is, is what I can control. And so, you know, at, at my practice, which is called Advent, that's our focus. Our focus is entirely on the, on, you know, the breathing triangle entirely on these issues. So people have nose issues and sinus and snoring and sleep apnea issues. So we're in Milwaukee, you know, we get people coming in from all over, which is great. And that's fine. We're trying to be, you know, we, we're growing and we're getting further and further, you know, closer to people from, from further away. But, you know, in your local community, it's really, I mean, I, I'd start with, like I said, that ENT, if you have snoring or sleep apnea, you should be seeing an ear, nose and throat uh, specialist. Uh, you shouldn't be seeing a pulmonologist. Most likely, more likely than not, you're seeing a pulmonologist and pulmonologists are, they're lung doctors and they're fine. Uh, it's just, the issue isn't in your lungs. The issue is in your throat. And so it's starting there, but you're also sort of hoping to find um, an ENT that does get it and gets, gets some of these concepts as far as the importance of the breathing, sleep, snoring, sleep apnea, all those sorts of things. Yeah, that is interesting. Making sure you're talking to the right person who can give you the direction that actually is going to help. Yep. Now, I have no idea if this is a part of it or not, but I'm curious, do you ever see inflammatory foods versus not non-inflammatory foods impacting the breathing triangle? Uh, yeah, they do. And, and specific to the nose, um, meaning that so the, the nose is sensitive to a lot of things. And so, like, for instance, if somebody has allergies, like environmental allergies, by, by far, uh, the most common complaint is a stuffed up nose, an itchy nose, runny nose, those sorts of things. Likewise, if somebody, somebody has sort of food sensitivities, either inflammatory foods or, or, you know, true food allergies or just sensitivities to certain things, uh, a lot of times that'll show up in the nose as well. Uh, the challenge there is, is sometimes with a lot of these things that are just part of everybody's diets or most people's diets, it's hard to pin down what actually might be, you know, causing uh, some issues for you. And so this is true for the issues we uh, that I treat as well as throughout the body is the only way to figure out if a certain type of food is bothersome is, is to purposefully eliminate it and consciously eliminate it and really be being conscious of it, marking down, okay, how are you feeling? And if, if it's specific to what you're noticing in the nose and the sinus areas, it's being very diligent about what, what do you notice when you get rid of that? And you can't do it for a day. You have to really do it for a few weeks, usually two to three weeks, eliminate that out of your diet, see how things are going, see how you're feeling. And, and sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not. But then when you want to really understand how that food impacts you, then you purposely reintroduce it. So you do that, uh, you know, say it's a two week elimination diet, then you br bring it back in with full force uh, at the end of two weeks and just see what you feel like. And if it's really not impacting you, then you're not going to miss it. And you're also not going to notice anything when you bring it back in. If it is impacting you, then once it's gone and once it's been gone for a while, you might notice that you're feeling a little bit better. And that's a good thing. And then to prove that is bring it back and see how you feel. And so if you got rid of it, it felt good and bring it back. It felt bad. That's the proof that it really is the only way there's testing that's available. That's really, it is not as specific and accurate as, as that elimination diet, because you just don't know. Sometimes somebody will react on a test and they don't necessarily react to something in real life. So it's the only way to know. Right. Right. Do you, are there any foods that you find more inflammatory in this area than others? Not specifically and part of us just my ignorance meaning that it, it, it really is not been well studied and meaning that i see it all over the board so i see folks who've had issues with with dairy products that, you know 
get them out and get them gone. They feel better. Sometimes gluten, sometimes sugars, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's all over the board. Um, I'd say a very common one is alcohol, you know, just, and it could be beer, it could be anything. And, and, and that for many people can cause their nose that was sort of borderline to really, you know, stuff shut. And so, but yeah, it can be anything and it doesn't have to be. So I, at least in my opinion, I don't, I don't think it's, it's not always there for folks who have issues. It, it's probably there more often than we know about. And part of that is the challenge of what I just said, which sounds simple, meaning, okay, you eliminate this thing. Okay, got it. Bring it back in. Got it. That's not as sort of binary as here's a pill. See if this helps you, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, and just how medicine is and healthcare is designed. It's, it's more about the latter than the former uh, because the former takes some discussion. There's no good way to truly study those sorts of things versus a pill that a pharmaceutical company makes. There are ways they have to study them, obviously. And, and so it's, a, it's just kind of, um, you know, maybe uh, some behind the scenes reasons for the way things are in, in medicine in general. Yeah, that is interesting because, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because in the questions I have, one of the questions says, how can healthcare providers like regain a successful business, regain their power in a system that might be broken and really feel like they can help their clients? So what part of the healthcare system do you feel like is broken right now? I feel like a lot, and, and although I'm an optimist, and I, I always I, I look towards the positive side of things, and I look to the reality that I'm fortunate to you know be born in this country, live in this country. While I'm knocking the healthcare system here, I also say when it's working properly, this healthcare system actually works better than anywhere else in the world. You know, so so it, you know that's what I'd say out of the gate. And then on the flip side, I'd say, well, you know, how do you persevere through that? I think the challenges are recognizing. The limitations of the system. And at least then I could go a lot of different directions on this because there's just a lot of headwinds towards somebody, you know, getting the care that they're looking for. Because at the end of the day, it always boils down to uh, an individual who has an issue or issues and is looking to get better. And the challenge is, is the way the healthcare system is designed, it's, it's lost sight of that. So meaning that you know, for instance, you know, with, with the issues we're talking about, if you've got uh, throat issues, nose issues, you don't need a hospital. You don't, you know, a hospital is a great place for a, a place to go for when it's needed and necessary. And we need good hospitals, but you don't need a hospital if you got a stuffed up nose. And so, but the challenge is, is in many communities, uh, healthcare is designed around hospitals and doctors and other uh, clinicians are kind of tied into the hospitals and the hospitals need to be fed and they need to be fed with live patients. And, you know, and so even for issues where it, it doesn't rise to that level, it's a one size fits all approach. And so you take that away and you say, well, again, for my particular what can one person do is one person can do differently with the things they see in front of them. And so for us, it's recognizing that, hey, if somebody's coming in with a particular issue, they're looking for solutions that they exist. And if we can deliver those things, then, then, then do that. And so it's trying to sort of see through all the trees that are kind of hanging out in front of you to the patient that's there and then figuring out if there are solutions that are there to be able to offer them. And so, again, I don't have the solution for the overall healthcare system. I'd say the solution in, in my little piece of the world is more in line with how we do things, uh, you know, with our practice than it is with how things are done elsewhere. And I think that's true regardless of somebody's issues, what, what somebody's issues are. I think the truth is, like I said, this healthcare system can be really good when it's good. And I don't think people recognize 
that it's up to you, you know, to take charge of your life and your health. And it's up to you to find individuals that are, are fighting on your side because it, it isn't a commodity. It, you know, that's where I'd say, okay, well, healthcare is it a commodity? It's not a commodity. There's an art to it. There's a science to it. And there's various viewpoints. So, you know, meaning that if you've got a particular healthcare issue, there's going to be a variety of ways to treat that. And there's going to be a variety of opinions on it. And some are more aggressive, some are more conservative, some are all over the board. And so it's your duty to figure out, well, who am I? Who am I as an individual? How would I like to approach this issue? And then trying to find somebody who's got that same mentality versus, oh, you know, I've got a, an ENT issue. I'm going to just find, oh, this I've heard there, you know, I'm going to pick an ENT and whatever he or she says is, is that's the way it is. And I'd say, well, Maybe, you know, maybe if you get lucky and you line up in the right spot and everything's all aligned, but more likely I'd say, well, that's an opinion and, and take that opinion. It's valid because it's coming, I think, from, you know, a place of goodness, but just understand that that's an opinion and that's an attitude towards how something, you know, could be treated. But, and if it's successful, that's wonderful. And if it, but if it doesn't seem right or it's not successful, then I'd say I, I definitely would, would, would keep looking and seeing if you can find maybe a better fit. Yeah, I actually wrote down on my paper, I wrote 100% responsibility, because I think so many times we were growing up with, you know, your doctor knows best all the time. And, and that can be true. But there also could be lots of other options. And so taking that, that responsibility back into our own hands and saying, well, doing research, there's so many ways to do research these days. And at least coming in with an idea of what you'd like getting multiple opinions and taking back that responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I have one last question for you because you said your mindset is what are the best tools or techniques to address this issue today? Not yesterday and not tomorrow. So when somebody comes into your office and they've had this problem for a long time and they're ready for something better, Mm -hmm. uh, they might not even know how better it can be, but you do know. (laughs) Right, right, right. So how does this mindset help you in each in each client care patient? Like what is it called? Appointment. Oh yeah, appointment. Patient visit. Um, it helps immensely. I mean, there's a everybody's kind of got a worldview. Everybody's got a way that they approach life, and and part of what we do in, in my practice is, and, and the reason we do it in my practice is kind of what I try to do too is is a, a large do, dose of stoicism, which is really a matter of control what you can control and control it fully, but things that you can't control. Don't worry about them. I mean, do not let those things, you know, bother you. And I, when I say that is about, it's really about today. It's about today. It's about this particular moment. So, you know, the nice thing, you know, being a doctor is that I have the ability when I have an appointment with somebody, I'm in the moment and that's what life is about. And being in the moment means not being in a different moment. And meaning that when I'm saying it's, it's the tools that are available now I, you know, I, certainly I'm going to keep my my fingers on the pulse of what's coming down the road in the future. And I'm always, from a technology technique standpoint, I always want to know the latest and the greatest, and that's great. But it really is what's available right now. And if somebody's got an issue, what are our options right now, today, that might be appropriate for them? And then being able to deliver those options is, is what we're about. And so the, the challenge there is today is today, tomorrow is tomorrow. If tomorrow something comes onto the playing field, that's a game changer. That's something that we might be able to incorporate into our toolbox to help somebody. Then it is my duty to figure that out, understand it, and implement it. 
but it has to be available, you know, and, and things that, you know, on the flip side, if things that we were doing yesterday or two years ago no longer seem, you know, sort of to be the right move, then get rid of them. Again, my philosophy, how we do things is that. And, and it, it's refreshing because there's no excuse. It is what it is. Not, and I'm the furthest thing from perfect by any means, but meaning that with that mentality and that mindset, it's not about being perfect. It's about uh, understanding the tools that are available, trying as a physician that's always trying to do my best to try to do you know, the best to do my duty to my patients. But on the flip side, understanding that you know, we're all human and none of us are, perfection is unattainable and, and, and not something, how do you say this? The understanding the human fallibility and understanding our limitations, that too is freeing. You put all that together and I'd say, it, it, to me, it just sort of grounds you and it puts you in a position where it really is an honor, a joy and a privilege to do what I do. And I'm thankful to be able to do that. And I think, unfortunately, again, not to not to focus on the negative because I don't like to do that too much, but I'd say, unfortunately, too many doctors, too many medical providers don't feel the same way. And that kind of what I was, I think, in some of those questions or thoughts is the reason I can do things the way that I feel like they ought to be done is because the practice of medicine doesn't stop at that exam room door, meaning that being in private practices, which is what our practice is, we either stand or fall based on how we treat each individual patient and our outcomes, and there's nothing else. And so if we do not do the right thing and we don't do it with the right attitude and, and get the right outcomes, then we don't exist. And that's freeing. I'd rather not exist than exist in sort of the, the sort of a neutered, whatever you want to call it, a dynamic that, that a lot of people are forced into. And, and, and I'm privileged not to be able to, to not to be stuck there. And, you know, anything I can do to get the word out, to let people know they don't have to be stuck there, I'll, I'm going to do. Hmm, I love that. Really focusing on what's reality today. Not just doing something for the sake of doing it, because that's what's been done for the last 20 years, right. um, but really saying, all right, well, what's, what can we do today to help make this one client's life better? Yep. Do you have a story of a, of a client who came in really suffering and then felt immense? I want to say freedom, but it's like breathing and sleeping like gives you back your life, essentially. Yeah. Every patient that I see, not everyone is dramatic, but... Many, many more than you would imagine. Many, many more people who are you're coming into a, a, a nose doctor's office are leaving with you know a changed life and you know want to tell others about it. And so it's all over the board. I mean, I, I think literally, if you think about this, if if you go through life with you know sort of being strangled, which is what ha what happens when somebody's got a breathing triangle. If you go through your entire life with somebody's boot on your neck. And all of a sudden, they take the boot off of you. You know, somebody just says, "Hey, why don't you get the boot off that person's neck?" And and think about how frustrating that is in the moment of trying to breathe like that, and how freeing it is to have that off. And I think it's literally a breath of relief, and it's literally, I mean, really, what we're talking about too. I wouldn't get into details, which is fine, but I'd say to me, the the thing that's stark is we can do in in a five minute procedure in the office under local anesthesia, we can you know literally open up the airway and change somebody's life. And oftentimes they don't necessarily know how big of an impact is until that, until we're on the back end, but just to be able to, to sleep, you know, without struggling to breathe, be able to sleep next to somebody. So that's the other part of these issues. If somebody's snoring, it's not just their problem. It's the problem of everybody in the house, you know, around them as well as the person in bed next to them. And so snoring, 
on airway issues is a is a wedge for a lot of relationships. There are a lot of people who have, you know, sort of, you know, there are other reasons to have relationship issues, you know, other than the snoring issue, but relationships are hard enough by themselves. The last thing you need is something else that's a wedge. And so those sorts of things is just sort of being able to pick up the pieces and, uh, you know, sort of in life that, um, that sometimes has fallen apart and sometimes you don't necessarily know it. And so, yeah, I guess I can't think, I can think of, so many that it's it's hard to pick out one and say, well, this particular one. But next time I walk into an exam room, I likely will be hearing somebody's story that's either at the start of their journey looking for better or somebody's on the back end of that journey who's, who's um, you know, where they need to be. And, and both of those are are fulfilling. I mean, e- either one of those is, is, a, is a good place to, to, to be. And so it is uh, a wonderful endeavor to be able to do what we're doing. Yeah. Wow. A five-minute in-office treatment, essentially, that they can walk out with a changed life. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. And it didn't exist. I guess that's, that's getting back to what I was saying before. That, when I, you know, I came out of uh, ENT training in 2003. Those, the kind of some of the things I'm talking about, balloon sinuplasty specifically, is, is one of those really quick office-based procedures. That didn't exist back then. And so that came onto the playing field about 2006. And so that's kind of a long time ago now. But that's an example of something that, geez, yeah, if we can do it this way, this new way, well, let's, let's try that. And then if you can do that, then, well... Let's not evolve the previous system to the new reality. Let's break the previous system. Let's create a new reality around, you know, what's available nowadays. And so, yeah, it's. it's I could see how when you feel like you have this new thing that is working so well for so many people, you want to shout it from the rooftops and be like, oh, my gosh, everybody needs to know this. Yeah, they do. They do. And, and it's not for everybody. And not every. How do you say this? It's not one size fits all. And I, I guess it, to me, my goal is at least just to get the word out. Let people yeah. know. And then, you know, then you're your own boss. Do what you feel is right. And if you feel like you're doing okay, wonderful. If you feel like you could do better, then you owe it to yourself to look for what could better look like. And, and so for us, for our patients, it's really, you know, it's, it's educating, informing, and then making that informed choice once you have the information. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, check out adventnose.com, which is the website to his practice with a bunch of details and information there. And I will put all of those details in the show notes below. But thank you so much, Dr. Kandula, for sharing your wisdom and your experience because sleep, breathing is essential to every day. And if you're not doing it well, it does absolutely impact everything. And I think if you are one of those people and you are saying, that's me, (laughs) then now that you know better, you can do better and you can take action to impact and better this part of your life today. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.